No? But we live that way, isn't it? Here's some crazy statistics, right? If you want to know. <clears throat> those of you who get to go on vacation, you know any of those people? Yeah. You <laughs> That's good. I dig that. I've been doing this for like a week and a half, so let me just talk, let me talk to the heckler for a moment. <laughs> just a FYI, uh, in seven years, less, no, I'm just with Jimmy. Truth is, and I'm, this is me, right, I'm guilty. In the last seven years, I have not taken all my vacation one single year. So, when we talk about overwhelmed life and too much, right, so I, I'm just as guilty uh, as, as all of you, I know sometimes you think, oh, he's a pastor. He only works one day a week and it's like half time at best, right? And the truth is, is that uh, there are those pastors and I just try to like, what do you, how do you not work? I don't get it. But anyway, sorry, detracting. Thanks, Jimmy. You threw me off track. Let's do the video again. The Bible says at the right time, at the right moment, God's going to send a savior. We're all going to be overwhelmed. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. All right. So here, here's my point before I got heckled. Um, 34% of Americans who go on vacation when they return feel like they need another vacation. You agree with that? Yeah, because you're, you're trying to do so, so many different things. Here's one of the little quotes from the book that uh, I talked about last week. Haste, in, uh, haste is part of a modern, uh, modern alignment. Our lives are nonstop. We live a, at a breathless pace. We walk fast, talk fast, eat fast, and then excuse ourselves by saying, I got to run. 36%, as I said, 36% of the people who go on vacation feel like they need another vacation. And then there's a proverb, a Finnish proverb, not Finnish is like done Finnish, but you know, the country, yeah, I got it. Uh, and here, here's what it says, God did not create hurry. It's good, right? Pretty good. So let's just ask a few questions. We're all going to participate because you guys are a lively group, right? Fact, hey, in fact, one funny thing, Ron, when we, after it was over, we took him to dinner uh, Friday night, and he's like, so how many of those people were like your church versus like them inviting people? And I said, oh, probably 60%, 70% were our church people. And he's like, if I lived there, I'd want to go there. They were pretty happening. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we like to have fun around here. So it's good to laugh and, and to have a good time. So, so let's have a little fun with this. How many of you, how many of you would, would agree? Oh, by the way, I said 54, uh, 34%. 54% of Americans said that they, would, they need another vacation after the vacation. So let me ask you this. How many of you would like to have more time for rest? Just kind of show your hands. Be, be honest about it. All right. Well, let me just ask this. How many of you have so much time and so much rest on your hands you don't even know how to act? Go ahead. Why don't you raise your hands? Got a couple people in the back row, all right? Well, we, we'll get them some activities. So when you, on the way out, you can do, they'll babysit for your kids because they have nothing else going on in their life. Probably mow the lawn. Will you mow the lawn? No. Wash the car. Cook? No wonder you don't do anything. <laughs> 
How about this? If you're sitting next to the person you love, you want to raise your hand on that. So I'm just helping you out, all right? How many of you would like to have more time with the person that you love? All right? <laughs> I won't ask if you want less time with the person you love because that's a whole other sermon topic down the road. <laughs> and that typically leads into postmarital counseling and stuff. And right now it's a little, it's a little busy for me, so we can't, can't really do that. So let's take a look at the from last week. All right? Top of your outline. You got your outlines open. <clears throat> from the book Margin... Uh, here's the definition uh, of, of progress. He said from the, eight, from the 1800s, as I said last week, uh, I think it actually goes back to Genesis chapter 3, but here's what he said, that every generation from the 1800s, the 18th, uh, that they have always desired to want to progress or want to move up in their living. And so progress means proceeding to a higher stage of development. All right, so every generation, from what this historian said, every generation wants to have a better lifestyle, a more comfortable lifestyle, whatever it is. So we're constantly pushing and desiring to do that, all right? And margin, we know what that is. It's the stuff you don't put on bread, right? Remember that? Margin in your outline has been stolen away. We'll get a definition of that has been stolen away, and progress is the thief. If you wonder why we don't have extra time in our life, is we have a desire, again, historians say the 18th century, I actually think it goes back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, but we have a desire to want to raise to a higher standard of living. And in our mind, we believe that Doing more, having more, and being more is better. Therefore, we fill up our schedules, we fill up our life with activities and with things to do. Are we tracking okay? All right. So margin in your outline, definition, looked at this last week, is the extra amount allowed beyond what is needed. And so here's my definition of that. It is you have 30 minutes to travel to a place that takes 20 minutes. You have $100 left over at the end of the month for unexpected bills, and that bill showed up, and there was only $80. You had a margin of $20 left over. All right? We typically, in our society, we live a margin-less life. Do you agree with that? We have 20 minutes to go 30 minutes away, right? We have $80 to cover $100 of bills. We tracking okay? Right? So what has stripped that away? The historians tell us that it is the desire to want more, have more, be more in our life. And as a result of that, we have stole, the, the margin has been stole, taken away or stolen from, from our lives, all right? So we said this last week, and this is kind of a key part of understanding where we're going over the next few weeks in, the, in, a, in a theme here. In Matthew chapter 11, we, we said this, we said Jesus, we covered several verses, but this is one of the verses I want you to hold on to. Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, uh, take my yoke upon you, all right, that we are to take the yoke of Christ. And we learned what a yoke was. 
It's the little yellow thing in an egg, right? And we all practice. We broke an egg. Remember last week? We put it in our pocket, and then we all walk down. We say, we got the yoke. It's in our pocket. No? No, the yoke is a farm equipment that shackles two animals together. And as a result of them being placed together, there's more horsepower, there's more force, there's more strength in order to do the task and so forth that's necessary and that's needed. All right? And so Jesus says that we are to take his yoke. And through scripture, the symbol of a yoke, which is in your outline, was a symbol of partnership and submission. All right? So as you sit here today, if you can get the visual in your mind, I mean, Jesus basically says, take my yoke, right? Partner with me, submit to me, and we are to be connected to him. Our life is to go along with him at the same pace, the same direction, and in the same, you know, using his force. And we looked at all that last week. If you missed it, grab a CD, listen online. So here's what we said in your outline. When I'm yoked with Christ, we move together at the same direction and the same pace in our life. All right? So we tracking so far? We're all doing well. All right. So Ephesians chapter 5. Let's take the next step in our little journey on overloaded lives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. It is believers not unbelievers. He's writing to the church and he's giving them a new standard of living. He's saying, hey, here's a new way of doing business. Here's a new way of doing life as you live. So here's what he says as he writes to the church. Be very careful then how you live. All right? So as you live your life, as you walk through life, as you wake up Monday, Tuesday, go to work, do all those kinds of things, I want you to be careful how you live and then he's going to give two examples that we have so we're either going to be one or the other okay he's not talking about salvation here all right he's not talking about whether you're a follower of christ he's writing to the church the assumption is they're believers all right so he writes to them and he says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as what but as wise all right so here's our two choices we're either going to live as wise or we're going to live as unwise or actually the word would be fool okay so we're either going to be wise or we're going to be a fool verse 16 making the most of every opportunity as every day that you wake up is God given you an opportunity to live either with wisdom or live as a fool. Each day we have the same amount of hours, same amount of days, right? So we're either going to live as a wise person or we're going to live as a fool. And then he goes on, he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Okay, now let me, let me just kind of share with you. <clears throat> Several years ago, I had bought new tires for a car. And I didn't realize that the alignment in the car was bad. It wasn't pulling 
the toe was in, I don't know, you know, or out, maybe it was out. So I would, you know, you check the tires, you kind of glance at them, everything looked fine, put air in them, all, all was good. But on the inside wall of one of the tires was just wearing out to a point where it was getting to almost to the core, right? And so I took it in to have the tires rotated, and I'm thinking, I got four or five years on these tires still to go. Guy goes, I can't rotate them. I'm like, what? What do you mean you can't rotate them? He goes, no, the, the inside is almost worn to the cord. And I'm like, I just got those tires. And he goes, well, come on out, take a look. So he takes me out, and on the inside of the tires, I mean, I didn't stick my hand and my head under the wheel well. Just kind of look, kind of go, eh, the outside looks good. But on the inside, it worn because the toe on the alignment was, was off, right? So here you have, I don't know, eight or 10,000 miles on a 50, 60,000 mile rated tire. And it's like gone, right? Toss them out. You're like, oh, but what about the insurance? Sorry. Well, what about, sorry, what about, sorry, not 400 bucks. That's what it is, right? Just pay the, pay the piper, right? And, and here, here's, what, here's what I want you to kind of visualize. I don't know if you've ever had those opportunity, uh, uh, experiences in life. Not fun. By nature, our alignment is off. See, the assumption when we drive our car is our alignment is right. Right? Unless you hit curbs. Right? And unless you can hit the opposite curb, the op opposite way to knock it back in alignment, it doesn't work so well. The assumption is, some of you guys are elbowing people. I could see it. Right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> bumper cars. Poof. <laughs> the assumption is you get in your car, the alignment's on. It's right. But here's the thing to understand about us humans. Our alignment isn't naturally right. It's wrong. And Paul writes that and he understands that. And he says, listen, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. For these days are evil, not necessarily sinful, crazy stuff taking place. That is taking place. But, but this by nature, it's evil. By nature, we're all bent out of alignment with God. And he says, so be careful then how you live. Because the days are evil, verse 17 Therefore, and us Bible uh, uh, studier people know whenever the word therefore is there, we always ask, what's it? Therefore, right, exactly, right? And, and so he says, he says, therefore, right, it's a transition he's getting you into. Unwise or wise, it's your choice. Days are evil, it's just the way it is. So therefore, do not be foolish, but instead understand what the Lord's will is for your life, okay? Here, the therefore in this case, here's what it means. Quit pretending that you don't know what's right. Quit, quit, it's, it, this is your mama's verse, okay? Here's what my mom used to tell me. If all your friends were jumping off the bridge, would you be so foolish to follow them? Did, you, did your mama ever tell you that, right? Remember, I was the youngest of five boys, and I'm like, yeah, we'd all go right off the edge, <laughs> right? So this is your mama's verse right here. It's like, come on, man, are you kidding me? 
you're going to go, oh, I didn't know. I had no clue. It's like, please, you know what God's will is. You know how to live a life that's honoring and glorifying to him. Stop walking around going, oh, I mean, I was just confused. I had no idea. I mean, she said I was cute, and I know I have a ring. And I said, well, what's the big deal? He's like, come on. Are you serious? You're pretending. You know exactly what you are to do. Number one, and when it comes to scheduling specifically, all right, because that's what we're talking about today, I would encourage you, when you make decisions about your schedule, to fill in the blank, and we're going to walk through this thing, with whatever is important in your life right now. So Andy Stanley in his book, it's a little tiny book, it's called The Best Question Ever. It is a great book. It, it's, it's, it helps you to kind of sort through your scheduling and your life and your decisions and stuff that you, you have to make. But, but here, here's, what, here's what Stanley says in his book about the best question ever. We typically ask not wrong questions, but just unwise questions. When it comes to scheduling, we ask, hey, can we do that? And then the answer is yes or no, right? Hey, is that the right thing to do? And the answer typically is yes or no, right? But we, but we never really take it a step further in which, which he would say is asking the wise question, all right? Because we're called to be wise. That's what, that's what Paul writes in Ephesians, that we're to live our life wise. So in your outline, let's just play along here. Here's the way that we would begin to run this through our filter when it comes to scheduling our life. In light of, fill in the blank, in light of, our, in, in light of your marriage, the current condition of your marriage. If your marriage is rock solid, good. If it's a little bit, eh, not so sure, that's not real stable. In light of that, okay, in light of the condition of your marriage, is the choice of going with your buddy someplace, is it wise? Not is it right or is it wrong, is it wise? Is it a wise thing to do? See, here's, here's how it plays out for us, right? <clears throat> the marriage is a little bit iffy. The guys say, hey, I got an idea. Let's all go fill in the blank, right? You want to go? Yeah, I want to go. Is it wrong? Eh, not, not wrong or right. Just kind of, eh. But in light of your marriage, in the current condition that your marriage is in, is it wise? Is it wise to do? Finances. Where you sit now. You know, how, how, how much... How much do you have? Do you have any margin in your finances? As you think about the future, retiring, buying a house, moving out, whatever the case may be for your situation, financially, somebody says, hey, why don't you go buy? Why don't you, you know, you get a itching to go out and get whatever it is? In light of your current financial situation, is it wise to go buy something that has only 360 easy payments? Right? Because see, the assumption is, if the credit, in the credit area, if the bank will loan me money, must be right. 
It's not wrong. Must be right. I mean, if I swipe it and it says approve, woohoo! Got to be God's will. Yeah, you guys are saying, oh. Right? So, so, see, so, so what we end up doing is when it comes to our scheduling, it's not that we're asking wrong questions, we're just not asking wise questions. And as a result of that, it affects our current life, our finances, our relationship. I mean, you have, you have a, uh, some kids in your house, right? I mean, th- they tell us that by the time they're like nine years old, 80% of their character is going to be shaped. So in light of that, is it wise to do mo- young moms and dads? Fill in the blank. Is it wise? See, when we look into the future, we want, our, we want our, our family to be strong, our finances to be strong, our kids to be well-developed. We want all that stuff. But how we schedule on a day-to-day basis, it isn't that way, is it? Beca- because we ask, is it wrong? Is it right? Can I do that? And it's, an, it, it's, it's just unwise question, uh, un, unwise way of phrasing and, and trying to run it through the grid. So number two in your outline is the unwise question is, is it right? Is it wrong? Can we do that? Number three, the wise question is, is it the wise thing to do? In light of my current circumstances, situation, family, and all this stuff, is it the wise thing me to do. Number four. So I must learn to have the courage and the faith to say, and we're going to all say it together because some of us just can't say it. All right? We're going to do it on the count of three. One, two, three. No. By the way, that is a complete sentence. You don't have to tell them why, it's no. Okay? It can just be no. So we must have the courage and faith to say no to the many good things so that we can say yes to the wise things. Right? So that we can say yes to the wise things. Romans chapter 12, another great verse. And to look at, <clears throat> we just learned in, you know, in the, ver- the chapters leading into verse 12, all the great things that God has done for us. So here's what he says. Therefore, that's why he's writing it. God has done all these amazing things in your life. He has saved you. He's set you free. He's forgiven you. Read Romans chapter 8, an amazing verse about that, Right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, okay, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And when we offer our lives as living sacrifices because of what he has done, because he doesn't want us to live as unwise, but as wise people, and here's what he says, here's what it's going to look like when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It will look like This is your act of spiritual worship or spiritual act of worship. 
Well, what does that look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. If you want to know what your spiritual act of worship looks like, it looks opposite of what the world is doing. Are we following? Right? So, our alignment by nature is off. Jesus sets our alignment straight. Right? Okay? So we are to live not as unwise, but as wise. And so our lives as followers of Christ ought to be completely different from the world. So, pause. When you go to work tomorrow, if your coworker isn't a believer, look at their schedule. If it's the same as yours, trouble. Finances, marriage, raising your kids, professional behavior, morality, integrity. If it's the same as theirs, you know what you're not doing? A, you're not presenting your body as a living sacrifice. B, you're conforming to the pattern of the world. You are living as a if I may say it with all love and respect to you, a fool. You are a fool. Right? And so he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. We've looked at this verse in depth before. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And then just below it is the definition of, of conform. It means to be fashioned alike, conformed to the same pattern. So our life ought to look completely different. Our scheduling ought to look different. Our priorities of what we put on our schedule ought to look different than our unbelieving co-workers and families. Are we following? All right. So, so but by nature, though, all of us are running with alignment that's off. Jesus brings it in. We still struggle with that, right? And so we've got to go in with the mindset that our alignment isn't always right. And here's where we begin to have trouble. The two things that bring us in alignment is the first things that get tossed when our life gets overwhelmed and overloaded. All right? It's the first two that get 86. See, most of us in our life it is not an issue of our life, uh, in our life, is whether we're committed. The reality is we are overcommitted. And we are overcommitted to the unwise things. Not sinful, not wrong, but unwise things in our life. And when our calendar gets filled up with stuff, the two things that we so desperately need to bring alignment into our life are the first two that get 86. Gets tossed. Right? And yet we need to bring back into that alignment. Look with me in your outline. As soon as you get rushed or overloaded, <clears throat> the two most important things that should never let uh, that we should never let go 
are the very first two that get 86. And here's the first one. The first one is our intimate time with God. Our intimate time with God. See, we'll sit on ch- in church, and again, hey, you know, we're all fellow strugglers, right? And I am the chief uh, overloaded person amongst all of us. But you think about it. If God gave us a 25th hour or a 26th hour, or your boss came into your work and said, hey, you know what? You've been working hard. Just take the day off. Take the rest of the week off. Go have fun. Let, let me ask you, be, and be honest. We probably would not say, oh, praise Jesus. I get to spend eight hours tomorrow worshiping the Lord. You know what we say? I got all those chores to do. I got laundry. I got to dust the house. I got to mow the lawn. I got to take the car and have the alignment done. Because the inside's worn out. Right? Isn't it true? Right? And some of us who are workaholics, and we'll start a small group after the service is over. And I'll lead. All right? Our boss says, go home. And you know what we say? I got to make up. I got to get ahead and work. Right? Isn't it true? I mean, be honest. I, I, I would venture to guess that no one in this two, two services to today is going to go home and say, no, you know, Pastor Dan, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I spend like eight hours just worshiping the Lord. And if you're here, God bless you. We'll, we'll make you a saint next week and we'll stuff you and we'll put you on the wall. Because you're in heaven already. <laughs> right? But, 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 it, but it's the truth. And it's the one thing that we need that brings us alignment in our life. So, so here, here's what Jesus says. Sermon on the Mount. Best sermon ever preached. Here it is. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 33. He says, when your schedule is clear and you've done all the chores and the honeydew list is over, the kids have moved out and you're retired, Seek first the kingdom of God. Is that what it says? No, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then, then all these things will be given to you. Now, now watch what verse 34 says. Therefore, don't worry. We looked at this last week. It's part of being yoked with the creator. Remember, Jesus in verse 27 established who he was. And that everything had been given to him in, in Matthew chapter 11. Right. And here he says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Well, the reality is the reason why we overload our life and our schedule is we are worried that we're going to miss out. And we can't even define what it is that we're going to miss out on. And so we fill our life with it. Because we're worried and Jesus says, what are you worried about tomorrow for? What are you all stressed out about? You got to get ahead. You got to close the deal. You got to do all that stuff. All right, good. <clears throat> for do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its own trouble, uh, troubles of its own. And then if you go down in, in chapter 7, Jesus gives us an amazing promise. Right? Leading, into, uh, leading out of that, he, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and, and ponders them, 
considers him and goes, well, what should I do? Now, puts him into practice. What is he like? He's like the wise person. What's our two choices? Wise or fool? Right? But when we put him into practice, we become the wise person. And then he goes through, the rain came down, and we've all played that little game in vacation Bible school. The rain came down, all that stuff. And our foundation is firm, and our life isn't washed away. We're able to stand up to it. But when it comes to time, our intimate time with Christ, it's the first that goes. Right? And I would throw this out to you as I thought about it this morning. When do we become prayer warriors? When we're at our wit's end and we can't fix it. Isn't it true? And how many times have we said, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to ask people to pray. True, right? It's, it's the first to go. Our intimate time with the Lord. <clears throat> Number two is our intentional time to rest. Okay? Our intentional time to rest in our life. Now we looked at Matthew chapter 11. I'm not going to get into it. But Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. We talked about that just a bit ago. Learn from me for I am gentle. And I am humble in heart. Alright. Now we all know what the ten commandments are. <laughs> Lord every day I pray that you'll bring me some folks. <laughs> Sure, we know what the Ten Commandments are. So, so they come out of slavery. They've, they've lived under slavery. They're told what to do, where to go, how to eat, right? They work seven days a week for their master. If they're not, if they're not producing, it's not good for them. Would you agree with that? So God's going to give them ten ideas on how to live or commandments, right? One of those Ten Commandments is a day of rest which was totally con uh, uh, contradicted their lifestyle because they were slaves. They were told by the master what to do, and if you were not producing and doing what you're supposed to do, you know, there, there would be trouble because why would a master want to feed a person who's not producing? All right? And so, so they come out of slavery, and he comes and he gives them the Ten Commandments, in which to live their life by. It's the new constitution for them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Six days you shall labor, right? And do all your work. Maybe some of you should circle the word all. Verse 14. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the chores that you have at your house. Okay, it's all the things that you didn't finish in the six days. No? It is the Sabbath to the Lord your... Not, that's not very... Comp come on now. Who? Your... Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, right? And so the Sabbath is a day that's committed... To the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Right? So here, here's kind of, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny actually. <clears throat> Imagine these guys coming out of slavery. Right? Hearing all 400 years of, of, hey, 
you know, my granddaddy and my grandmother and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, you could hear all the stories, right? And, and Moses comes down and goes, okay, here's, here's, here it is. <clears throat> on Saturday, because that was their Sabbath, we don't have to do anything. You, you could imagine them going, no, we have to produce. Because if we don't produce, I mean, what, how are we going to feed ourselves? How are we going to take care of ourselves? How are we going to, right? I mean, if I don't work ahead, I'm always going to feel behind. And so, I mean, that's cool that God says, eh, take a day off and rest. But I need to work because I've got to produce. And if I don't produce, then I won't be able to achieve it. And we don't even know what it is. But I won't be able to get there. And he says, no, no, you've got to rest. Now let me show you another verse and we'll tie it together. Exodus 23, verse 10. He's talking to farmers. And he says, for six years, six years you, shall, uh, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Okay? So it's the same principle as a day off. So he says to farmers, six years, I want you to farm your land. The seventh year, just leave it. Let it replenish itself. Let, let all, you know, just, just leave it alone, right? Now, imagine your company. Imagine you going to the COO, uh, COO right? And the CEO, right? And the bean counters in your company. And you go, hey boss, I got an idea. Here's what we're going to do. One day a week, our company isn't going to make any money. We're just going to like say, nah, let's not sell anything. We're not going to make any money at all. Now, do you think in our world, in our global economy, in our 24-hour business cycle in which we live in, the CEOs and the COOs and the CFOs would look at you and go, man, that is a great idea. We're only going to make a profit six days a week, and the other day we're going to sit around and go, what are we going to do with ourselves? You know what they would tell you? A company cannot succeed if you are not working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, producing widgets to sell. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Right? But there are a few companies in our current world that follow that. Chick-fil-A is one of them. Chick-fil-A isn't the fastest or the largest fast food restaurant, but it is the most profitable fast food restaurant in the United States. And the, the, the family says, we're not going to be open on Sunday because we don't want to give our employees a, 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 a reason why they can't go to church. He doesn't insist them they, they go, but he says, I'm not going to be the stumbling block for them. Right? Hobby Lobby is another one as well. Yes, I'm going, woohoo! Let's go. Hey, I, I know. Let's go down and we're going to get some garland at Hobby Lobby, and then we'll all go to Chick fil A in Walnut Creek. Let's go. <laughs> the, the, they're close, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and my tire is bald too, so I got to borrow your tires. Anyone got a size 16, 205, 55, 16? I got to borrow one. I'm just kidding. 
all right? But in our culture, be, be, be truthful about it. In our culture, that, that just doesn't fit. And you know what we've done? You know what we've done? We bought into that, haven't we? And we, we may not run our business like that, and we may not be the COOs and CFOs of our company, but we won't run our personal life just like that. We run on a seven-day-a-week calendar. And we sit back and we wonder why 54% of us go on vacation and we come back and we're like, man, I need another day off. And we, we, we wonder why at times we're exhausted in our life. We wonder why, and this is what Dr. Swenson says, we wonder why as a culture we wake up after six or seven, eight hours of sleep and we're still tired. We wonder why we wrestle with fatigue and anxiety and other types of illnesses in our life. You want to know why? Because our intimate time with Christ is out. We've got a lot of things to do. And our day of rest is put aside because we've got to catch up with everything else that we've missed in the six days. And the principle of, and it's a spiritual principle, the principle of resting on the Sabbath and for a farmer not to plow his land, there were some the reasons why from a crop standpoint, and that need, um, you know, they didn't have all the different hybrid fertilizers and so forth that we have today, but it, the bigger principle was, here it is. Do you believe that God can do in and through you six days of work in his six days what you can do on your own in seven? And do you trust him to do it? It is a faith issue, folks. It is not a scheduling issue. It is stepping back and asking, am I wise or unwise? And if I'm unwise to get the alignment, seek first the kingdom of God. Get that alignment straight because by nature, it is not aligned. And your time with him in corporate worship and private worship is going to bring alignment to your life. And when you have an alignment in your life, then you can ask for discernment and wisdom for choices in which you make, for scheduling, for finances, relationship, and so forth, right? And if you are not in alignment with him, then you are going to continue to make poor choices. Not, they're not sinful, maybe some of them are, <clears throat> but they're typically unwise, and as a result, your life continues to struggle. So here's my challenge the bottom of your outline. The next step, this is my encouragement this week, not when your to-do list is done, not when all the projects are finished, but sometime this week, spend some time with God and just to ask that question and allow the Spirit of God to speak. Do you have a consistent, intimate time with God? Do you spend that quality time? If it's five minutes, double it, make it ten. If it's an hour, double it. Make it an hour. But are you going to trust him to, to provide for you, to reveal to you, right? And I know the pushback is, I don't have time to do it. 
listen, your, 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 your life is always going to be out of alignment unless you do. It's, it's that simple. Let's pray.